Welcome to the conversation. I'm your host for today's episode, Anna Kasparian, and we are going to focus on the PRO Act today. Possibly the most consequential piece of legislation if you happen to be a worker in the United States. And the vast majority of us are workers in the United States. You might not have heard of the PRO Act, even though we've talked about it on the Young Turks quite a few times. But this is legislation that would be incredibly important in strengthening labor power here in the US. And luckily, I have two wonderful women to help me discuss this discuss this legislation. They're DSA organizers, Sydney Gazarian. Is is a national climate organizer, founder of Democratic Socialists of America's eco-sociologist, I'm sorry, eco-socialist working group and contributor for DSA's Green New Deal and Pro Act campaigns. We also have Thea Rio Francos, who's an assistant professor of political science at Providence College, an Andrew Carnegie fellow and a Radcliffe Institute fellow. Thank you so much ladies for joining me today. Thanks for having us. So let's get started with the basics. For anyone who maybe didn't hear the details of what the PRO Act includes and why it's so important to pass this type of legislation. You know, the House had passed the PRO Act last year. They have voted on it again. It's very easy to pass in the House. Of course, there might be a big problem when it comes to the Senate, which we'll discuss in just a few moments. But first, just talk about why it is that we need to pass the PRO Act in order to strengthen labor power here in the United States. Sydney, I'll begin with you. Sure, so I think that it's pretty clear that you know, our labor power, our power as workers has been absolutely decimated over the last few decades. We we know this because we are workers. We understand what it's like to be in the workplace. We understand that bosses suck, they exploit us, they abuse us. Um, but we've also seen just how consequential this is when it comes to the pandemic. Uh, we've seen the difference between union workers during the pandemic who were able to win things like PPE and health and safety measures. And the difference between non-union workers who had a much more difficult time winning these same measures. And the consequences were, were huge. I mean, people died. This was significant and it. I think this is really pointing to the need for us to build up labor power for working power and to have more people in unions and able to fight on the behalf of people everywhere in this country. And the PRO Act is a huge step towards that. It will do undo some of the most punitive laws that are preventing worker power in this country. It would create a mediation and arbitration process to ensure newly formed unions reach a first contract. That's really important right now because even when workers succeed in forming a union, nearly half of newly formed unions fail to even reach a first contract. It also lifts the prohibition on secondary strikes, which prevent unions from going on strike in solidarity with other unions. Um, it would undo right to work laws that are you know, undermining workers right now in 27 states. There's an endless list of things that the PRO Act would do and it couldn't come at a better time, which is why the DSA is prioritizing this right now. So Thea, as Sydney mentions, this would reverse the damage that was done with these right to work laws. Can you discuss why these right to work laws are so damaging to labor power in these 27 states? Yeah, so right to work laws really undercut like the basic logic of, of what a union does, right? They allow workers to benefit from 
from what a union wins without actually being a part of the union or paying dues to the union, right? And so you can see how these are essential from the right to actually undermine what unions are offering workers and also to really undermine their political power because those union dues are a big way that unions can organize for political demands and put pressure on the political system, right? So they're kind of trying to break that link and they know that it's very effective. And I also note that the history of right to work traces all the way back to the Jim Crow South when lawmakers knew that a key way to divide workers by race would be by undermining the power of unions. And they did that by starting to implement right to work laws. And then they took off around the country precisely because they were so successful at weakening unions. Right, I mean, they, they certainly weaken unions because it discourages workers from joining the union and paying dues because it forces um, the union to uh, share the gains that were won by striking workers. Workers who might have even lost out on a wage as a result of uh, striking, the employees who didn't pay into uh, the union to help strengthen it, uh, the workers who didn't go on strike and still managed to uh, bring income for themselves, they would get to reap the rewards uh, that that were fought for and won by the union. And the reason why that's such a negative thing is A, it creates division among the workforce and you really need solidarity. And B, as you mentioned, it incentivizes the refusal to pay union dues, which weakens the unions as the end result. And that's a very intentional part of that type of law. And as you mentioned, 27 states have currently enacted such laws. Let's talk a little bit about what went down in Bessemer, Alabama where Amazon warehouse workers had just undergone a union drive. Now, unfortunately, they did not get enough votes in order to unionize there. But my understanding that my understanding is that Bessemer, Alabama is a right to work state. How are these current laws kind of undermining the ability for workers to unionize in some of these states? Sydney. I think you might be muted. Sorry about that. So I'm gonna talk a no little worries. bit first just about Bessemer in general um, and how much the PRO Act would have made a difference there. Um, we Amazon is a union busting company and it's one of the most powerful corporations in this country, if not around the world. And you know these workers stood up against it and they fought for their rights. They were not successful, but it was a huge, uh, it, it was very, very significant um, for, for what they did. However, it would have made a big difference for the PRO Act to have been enacted at that point. Um, and that is because they, you know, they engaged in typical union busting activities. They did a lot of things to discourage the union from being, um, from from taking place. They they, you know, messaged their workers. They had lots of anti-union meetings. They had anti-union propaganda. Um, all of these things work towards discouraging um, people from feeling like they can speak out and vote in favor of the union because then, because then they feel like they'll lose their job. And under the PRO Act, it will there will actually be penalties for workers, or I'm sorry, for employers who do this to their workers. There will actually be a system for making sure that their workers are not having their union's election interfered with in this way. And I think it's very, very clear with just like how horrible Amazon was in this that obviously we need the PRO Act to pass in order for people to feel like they're able to collectively organize and, and win these things for themselves. Exactly. I mean, just preventing the intimidation and the retaliation toward workers who are trying to organize and unionize. 
So now let's talk about what the DSA is doing because I, I certainly agree with the organization's um, emphasis on organizing around this issue and applying pressure on lawmakers to ensure that they support it. Um, what do those organizing efforts look like? What's the game plan? Thea, I'll start with you. This is just, I think I can safely say one of DSA's most exciting national campaigns that we've ever been involved in. It, it sort of builds on our previous efforts around the Bernie campaign, which was another national unifying campaign to support his candidacy. But this is something new because it's about bringing all chapters together to push on Congress to actually pass a law and also work directly with our comrades in the labor movement in order to make that happen. So what this looks like is 700,000 calls made to five target senators that are the five senators standing between us and passing this legislation. As you noted, the House has already passed it. What stands between us are the Democratic senators who have refused to commit to this. Because of those 700,000 calls and also all sorts of other ways that we're putting direct pressure with actions, with town halls. Already two of those five senators have moved from non-commitment to co-sponsoring the bill, which is a huge victory. And we have been doing this for one month. Sometimes I can't even believe that it's only been a month, right? So we have more time to this campaign. We're gonna keep the pressure on and we're targeting the other three that have not yet co-sponsored the bill. I love that. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, this is just a testament to how um, organizing, applying persistent pressure can be incredibly successful. Um, and as you mentioned, originally there were five Democratic senators who are holding out. Um, two of them have now agreed to co sponsor. Uh, my understanding is one of them is a conservative Democrat. Joe Manchin, who's giving us yep. all sorts of grief in other areas as well. But it, it is a testament to how uh, successful you guys have been in, in getting someone like Joe Manchin uh, to sign on to this piece of legislation. Um, who are the other three Democrats who are holding out on this, Thea? Um, we have uh, Warner, Kelly, and Cinema. And some are, of those are also a bit notorious for the way that they kind of flout like progressive, basic progressive values such as a $15 an hour minimum wage, right? So yeah, we've got two targets in Arizona and one in Virginia that we are putting all the pressure on. So Sydney, one of the issues in the Senate, aside from corporate Democrats standing in the way, is that you would need more than a simple majority to pass the PRO Act. It's not something that could be passed through a budget or the reconciliation process where you could pass something through a simple majority. You, in this case, would need 60 yes votes on the PRO Act in the Senate in order to pass it into law. Is there any type of strategizing on that part of this issue? Yes, we are thinking about that. Obviously, that's gonna be a huge thing. And everybody's thinking about that right now because the filibuster is standing in the way of all progressive legislation right now. Um, and so this is something that we have to take head on. This is something that we have to build collectively around. And right now we are prioritizing the PRO Act because we see this as something that can really invigorate the working class to fight for. This is something that we desperately need. Like I said before, the pandemic has proven just how desperate 
desperately we need this to pass. But we also need it to pass because we are so underpowered. And by building a mass working class movement, we are going to be able to win bigger and bigger gains. And so hopefully by building this fight to pass the PRO Act, and also by passing the PRO Act itself, we can continue to build a mass movement that's capable of taking on things and doing things like abolishing the filibuster and passing the PRO Act and eventually winning a Green New Deal. I mean, when you think about workers' conditions, pay, all of these issues that the DSA is fighting on behalf of, that some of the progressive Democrats in Congress are fighting for, these are not issues that are really partisan issues when it comes to polling workers. When you talk to actual workers, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, progressives, it really doesn't matter. I think everyone can see what working conditions are like. They can see how there's ever growing inequality in this country as a result of labor being so weakened. But somehow it still ends up becoming a partisan issue when we're talking about Congress. Now that equation could change if Progressives and conservatives found a way to really work together, and I'm talking about organizers in applying the necessary pressure to get lawmakers to sign on to this legislation. But that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. We are unfortunately a divided country, and I've been thinking a lot about you know our own rhetoric over at TYT. What can we do to reach out to people who might overwhelmingly disagree with us on some social issues, but do agree with us when it comes to Empowering labor unions, empowering workers. Thea, what would your advice be on that front? I think that it really starts from the ground up. And I don't want to at all like ignore the key importance of media outlets and also the importance of powerful people in society that you know might make influential kind of have influential opinions. But I think kind of to build on what Sid was saying, it requires kind of solidifying real relationships at the local level that are within families, within neighborhoods, within labor unions, which themselves have been terrains and battlegrounds of partisan politics, right? We saw that unfortunately many members of labor unions may have voted for Trump, right? And like that is because of of the way that Trump was able to speak to and manipulate working class fears around deindustrialization and trade and things like that. But if you're not organizing locally across those divides, not just partisan divides, but other divides in our society, I don't think that we're ever gonna have the kind of leverage to push lawmakers to change their position or just to flat out replace those lawmakers with ones that are more representative of working class interests. So, but I absolutely think, and this is work that DSA is doing in red states and rural areas in the South, wherever we have chapters where those partisan you know, divides are real, we are trying to kind of confront them, lean into them and, and organize relationally around where there are areas of common interest in order to then expand on what working class politics can achieve. Sid, what has that experience been on the ground? Are people of different political ideologies receptive to some of the messaging coming from the DSA? Yes. I think that that's one of the most exciting things that's been happening. I'm not gonna say that these conversations have been easy, but that's part of organizing. It means having real heart to heart conversations, real relational organizing. And the fact that we are doing this, we're engaging not only on phone calls, but like door to door and like in our neighborhoods and communities with people and, and having these conversations, we are moving people because people actually do, like, like you were saying earlier, understand just how much the deck is stacked against them. They understand that working people are disempowered in this country and they want they want the basic things that everybody wants. They want dignity, they want food, they want water, they want a good life. And we're fighting for that. And and they're gonna 
fight for that too. And, and that's why we've been able to bring some people along with us. Yeah, I mean, that's um, certainly some optimistic news. And it, it really does differ from what most people would notice if they're just solely online, right? And and Thea, uh, there's no offense taken. I, I think that media is one thing, but uh, grassroots organizing is far more powerful um, and just, it's just something that's more persistent than just relying on the whims of talk show hosts and podcasters to share their opinions on things and hope that people are listening and are gonna do something about it. You know, you guys actually put action behind what you're talking about. So don't worry, I'm not offended by anything you might think about media versus organizing. I think they're both important, but organizing, in my opinion, seems to reap the rewards because that's the actual hard work. You're on the ground, you're talking to people, you're having the difficult conversations. Now, some of that seems to get undermined or minimized through commentary online. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that, Thea. It looks as though the left is incredibly divided itself, but is that true when it comes to the actual organizing on the ground? No, I think that there is a real contrast there, right? If you go on Twitter, there's no shortage of like micro disputes between people with what are in reality often very marginally different opinions on things, but they get amplified because the algorithms of how these social media websites work and how they actually make profits for their owners is by amplifying disagreement and by people taking positions on one another and getting sort of likes and, you know, retweets because they're being increasingly polarized, right? And so I think that, you know, that experience can is also very alienating to people. It makes it think that there's no way to convince people, that there's no way to persuade them, right? And I get worried that people learn about what politics is like through what's actually quite artificial environment that doesn't resemble very much face-to-face conversations, organizing, what it's like to go to a union hall or a DSA meeting and actually talk to people that you the assumption is you have some shared ground with, right? And and so I worry about the effects on that, but I also know that as soon as people People move into different spaces, their their kind of orientation towards politics can change quite dramatically once they kind of get offline, so to speak, for a moment. Talk about what it's like to win through organizing, right? Maybe provide an example, but more importantly, talk about what it felt like, just the very real human reaction that you get once that organizing pays off. Because I think that, you know, Jane McAlevey always talks about the importance of focusing on the wins. And the wins are important because it really helps to keep motivating people to volunteer their time, to become organizers, to be part of this this fight. And so, Sydney, I'll start with you, and I really do want both of you to answer this question. Talk about you know a situation in which the organizing actually paid off and what that felt like. I mean, let's just talk about the PRO Act. We know that this is a long fight. This is a big fight ahead of us, but we are having small wins or big wins actually along the way. I mean, when we, we put in 500,000 calls during our week of action, we're now at 700,000 calls. We are going to have a million calls by the end of May. But through our week of action, we flipped Angus King and we flipped Joe Manchin. And we are an organization that, you know, is was very, very small only a few years ago. We're nearly 100,000 members now, but because we had this dedicated organized work, we had real conversations on the phone with people in those states. We were able to convince people that weren't really thinking about the product, didn't know what it was, or maybe were on the fence to give their senator a call and tell them to support it. We were able to flip them. 
And those were real hard conversations that paid off. And both Joe Manchin and Ingus King both cited our phone calls as the reasons why they flipped. And, and that is huge. That is a huge reason to be celebrating and to know that we are powerful when we come together, when we organize, when we focus and prioritize and fight for things that we believe in and that we can change collectively. Um, there's nothing in the world that can replace that. That is that is why I'm an organizer. Um, it's also to win a better world, but these small victories along the way make it make it worthwhile. Thea, how about you? Yeah, I can't. I kind of can't agree enough because there's almost nothing like the feeling of working hard for something that people tell you is impossible, that people tell you you don't have the power to do, and even worse, that people tell you that you don't deserve, that you like just don't deserve dignity and economic security, um, and you know, a, a sort of living in a society that's dramatically better than the one we live in, and to actually show that no, we do have the power, we do have strategy and strategic thinking and skills and talent and organizing and people power, and we can put all of those together in a structured way and actually little by little and then more and more in an escalated way win what we know that we deserve, right? And there's just like nothing like the feeling of that validation of your collective efforts. And to also know you could not have ever done this alone. It was you and many other people that made this happen. Maybe people that you might not meet, right? Or might not know, but you all had this shared goal. And and it's just a thrill to know that you know you got one against the ruling class. They told you you couldn't do it and we did it and we're gonna do more. I love it. Yeah, I mean, we're so atomized right now as a result of technology, as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. And so I can imagine how invigorating it is to work together with others in order to accomplish a better country, a better world. So I'm so grateful for you ladies and for the DSA for focusing their energy and their attention on the PRO Act. So where can our viewers go if they're interested in organizing themselves, if they're interested in joining the DSA and being part of this fight? They can go to our phone bank page, which is we're, is going all through the end of the month. And remember, those phone banks move to senators, so we need to do lots more. It's um, bit.ly slash proact phone bank. And you can also just search DSA phone bank, Twitter, on, excuse me, DSA phone bank um, on Google and, and find us that way. It's pretty easy to find where we have lots of different avenues through which you can get involved, but the phone banks are super important. Thank you so much, Sydney Gazarian and Thea Rio Francos. You ladies are wonderful, and thank you again for taking the time to speak to us today about the PRO Act. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you.